Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the uh, married at first sight of extreme metal podcasts. As usual, I am the death metal guy, aka 2023 Nathan's hot dog eating champion, Glenn Danzig. <laughs> uh, and I'm the black metal guy, aka Tactical Gym Shorts. <laughs> that's that's what I'm wearing at all times, really. Exactly. I mean, that's that's the slam uniform. Is uh, you know, you've got your your basketball shorts or you know uh, camo cargos, which used to be death metal tradition. Then we got all too cool for that. But I feel like I feel like you can generally evaluate the quality of a hardcore or a death metal band based on a band photo and what percentage of the band is wearing camo cargo shorts. Right, so I guess tactical gym shorts would just be like you combine the two, right? It's like gym shorts, but they have a lot of pockets. Yeah, it's just like, it, it, I, I don't know if it's ever been made, but it's there for internal bleeding. Like, they, they're the band that that product <laughs> is manufactured for, I think. Um, okay, so, uh, got a show today, guys. Uh, sorry for a little bit of delay. I was uh, out of town visiting family over a long weekend, but we are back and ready to fuck. Uh, usual housekeeping at the top of the hour, though. Uh, for those of you dedicated to the, the work and the whims of Terminus, follow us on social media. Facebook, me, uh, at Terminus Podcast, uh, Instagram, my co-host, at Terminus Extreme Metal, and for those particularly dedicated and powerful souls among us, uh, feel free to subscribe to us on Patreon. $3 and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes, and $5 and up gets you access to the Terminus Black Circle, our private Discord server, where there's actually been legitimate music discussion and not just memes over the past several days. So if you guys were uh, uh, scared off of joining because you thought you wouldn't be cool and you wouldn't understand any of the in-jokes. That's still true, but occasionally you can talk about a record. And a record we have starting things off. Black Metal Guy, take us away. We got a, we got a little one up front this time. Okay, so uh, we are going to check out Forsaken Offerings by Ossuary on Darkness Shall Rise Productions. So this is a very short uh, two songs plus a cover EP. And we're, we're reviewing it because uh, apparently uh, a member of the band is a fan of the show, and he, he wrote to us and asked us to review it. So I was like, what what the hell? Why not? Uh, this is... Um, Ossuary, the name was immediately recognizable, not just because, like, it's a classic extreme metal name, but because uh, it's popped up a fair amount in my recommendations on YouTube. I don't know about you, Uh but, I like, don't I know if I've noticed it, but it, it's possible it just got away from me. I, I recognize the um, the album covers, uh, especially for Supreme Degradation, whatever. Uh, had that kind of um, gore cover that, uh, mm -hmm. um, or there, there's there's an edition of it with a kind of gore gore ish cover that uh, is floats around on YouTube, and you know it's hosted on Greg Beal's channel. And so I think it's one of those things that will show up on your feed if you listen to very underground stuff. Now, when I when I saw that one, and let me make sure I'm talking about the right record. Yeah, I, I looked it up. It's the uh, the original tape yeah, version yeah, has the kind yeah, of like yeah, skin face. 
It's the skinned face, yeah, skinned to look especially scully. Yeah, that's okay. That's a gore cover. <laughs> es- I was... Especially scully. Good, good, good adjective there. <laughs> Yo, fuck him up, good. Make him especially scully. <laughs> it's, yeah, a, it's, a, it's a, it's 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 also the name no, of a never. <laughs> It's also the name of a uh, a pensive British indie rock project, you know, especially <laughs> Scully. It's like a chameleon side project, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, yeah. So it's um, yeah. For a minute, for some reason, I think that what I saw was low res. So I thought, is that a drawing? But no, that's real. Um, and so um, I, I saw that, and it reminded me of like the Piss Grave cover and whatever, and. Mm. And, and which is and it's just sort of a trend in a lot of modern OSDM stuff and stuff that you know you're not particularly interested in thinking like okay well it's just more modern OSDM yeah well that would be a mistake because Ossuary are actually doing something pretty uh, a lot narrower and a lot deeper than the general concept of like OSDM or whatever uh, mm-hmm. and it's it's more it's more interesting um I don't exactly have the vocabulary to describe it. You might better, but basically, when I listened to the first to, to that EP, Supreme Degradation, I thought somewhat of incantation, especially on the first half, less so on the second. Uh, how would you describe the nexus of sounds going on here? So, this is essentially a an aesthetically very extreme take on early 90s doom death um the guy who uh wrote in to uh bring this to our attention from the band uh mentioned that his favorite episode by us was the torture doom episode and i can definitely see a relationship there um this this strikes me as immediately resembling at least in terms of timbre stuff like uh, black mass of obsu goat lord who they do cover on this ep uh necroschisma etc you know a lot of sort of um obscure uh, a lot of it was cassette-only stuff from the late 80s into the mid-90s. Uh, a, a really interesting juncture of stuff. And then there's also some material that kind of resembles, uh, I would say, Durkada, if you've ever listened to them. Mm-hmm. Um, just sort of like, these guys seem very specifically interested in old-school doom death beyond the usual suspects of incantation and autopsy and what have you. Uh, but so really, if you if you break it down, a lot of the material on this is very traditional, but it's it's played in such a gorked style with such a crazy timbre. It's like you kind of expect something like this to come out on uh, Memento Mori Records or something like that. Yeah, it's um. So the the last. So I guess yeah, the most complete recording thus far is that last one, uh, or is that yeah, twenty nineteen one Supreme Degradation and. The interesting thing about it was the first half, I sort of accidentally listened to it preparing for the show, and it turns out to have been good background research. Um, the, uh, the, first, the first half was pretty, uh, pretty boring. It, had, it, it was like very slow, and it had some of the stereotypical features you'd associate with like incantation worship bands, right? Mm-hmm. Especially a... A, a ton of reverb and slow sort of long note trem riffs highlighting that reverb usually higher on the fretboard uh 
and it, it wasn't that interesting. And then on the second half, it sounded like the band just woke up, mm-hmm. and suddenly you got these. The songs were still, in a sense, doomy, but they moved much faster. They tended to be driven by downbeat thra- downbeat double pedal thrash beats. Um, and they had this kind of um lurching, hurtling, heaving momentum to them. Uh, and there was there was a, a fair amount of detail on the riff writing throughout, but especially on the second half. Um, and a lot of just interesting little turns being put in things. And a cool feeling of just parts sort of stack, crashing into one another and stacking on top of one another. Um, and and this, this new EP seems like a synthesis of those. Like, if somebody had asked me back then, oh, what would be the best direction for this band? I'd just, like, say, like, do songs three and four, but more of that. Mm-hmm. But Ossuary are more stubborn than that. They really like the slow stuff, too. So it seems like they, they have, like, this 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 EP is uh, focused on lower tempos for the most part, but it has the more dynamic songwriting that you heard on the second part uh, of the last one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, these are uh, these are pretty densely plotted songs. Yeah, densely plotted, uh, detailed doom death. Um, and something that stands out to me about it uh, would be that they are really good at transferring momentum from part to part, uh, no matter how slow they are. The parts are all written together, and it's not just that there's a cool or unexpected transition. Uh, you get a um, something of the last riff, uh, something of its energy gets carried over and added on in the next one. There's a cumulative uh, cumulative buildup going on. So uh, the first track is uh, the I think on average probably the slowest. Uh, this is Forsaken Offerings (parentheses) to the Doomed Spirit. That's a pretty bleak song title, right? You're making an offering to a spirit, but the spirit itself is going away. Um, and uh, we're going to start about 40 seconds in.
So, um, the first of those riffs had an A, B, C, and D variation. Uh-huh. Uh, with sort of a, a slowly accumulating, like, more, more and more notes in the riff as it, uh, in the phrase as it repeated, uh, making for one very long riff. Uh, the basic outline of the riff is a simple sort of trudging doom death riff, but it's actually a lot more complicated. Uh, the last riff also, you know, uh, even just the way it ends by, instead of resting on the it drops again. In a kind of unpredictable uh, rapid way. Um, and, um, I don't know. Uh, you could hear right how it, the third riff was the slowest, uh, but it had a sort of um, it had a lot of weight behind it from the previous riffs. The slowdown was um, it was a very heavy slowdown. Well, they're kind of um, they're they're playing with the perceived tempo of the music through these sort mm-hmm. of odd shifts between four four and six eight. Um, they're kind of they're slipping between those two on a pretty regular basis, and they're uh, you know your perception of the tempo gets warped around it, even though the quarter note pulse is actually the same the whole time. So that's pretty mm-hmm. cool. It's it's a good way to to play around with a sense of pacing without having to remove yourself from the doom conceit. Yeah, that's true. The last one, da yeah, it's more like it's like a super super slow, like a halftime waltz thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's um, and it's unusual somewhat. There's three, four, and six, eight figures aren't even that common in death metal of this era, especially not recreations of it. No, uh, it, would, it would definitely be the Doom Death bands that that did that primarily. Um, but what what's also interesting to me though with, with this band is uh, just doing a little bit of background. I realized that two of the guys in this band are in uh, Jex Thoth, mm-hmm. which is sort of a, a, a psychedelic tinged trad doom band uh, on I Hate mm-hmm. Records, which I was a little bit yeah. familiar with. So that kind of surprised me, but I think that brings into clarity some of the ideas being worked here and that this is another example of a doom death band that is concentrating pretty heavily on being a proper doom metal band and not merely using that to indicate, you know, death metal, but slower. Right. And so you would, for you, that would link back to rune magic who we reviewed the other week. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think that, I mean, listening to like the opening riff or at least the opening riff from the sample on this track, you can, perceive how these are something like very burly candle mass riffs yeah i i can hear that um the the strange the sort of off-center waltz thing is candle massy yeah and the the sort of like keening uh keeningly you know and that 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 chugging riff with those little tritone figures in it you can imagine how those are almost like dramatic messiah Marcol and vocal lines or something mm-hmm. Yeah, I can hear that. Another band that this reminds me of a bit is Colt's Blood. Do you know them? Uh, I think I've heard you mention them before, but I'm not familiar. Yeah, it, it's kind of kind of interesting. I think it's a band that like got put on pause. Uh, let's see. Let's see if there's anything more from them. Um, 
Yeah, they still have a social media presence uh, and probably still exist, but the last thing they did was a split with Earn in 2019. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, Ascending into Shimmering Darkness is the one I listened to. Uh, and they're kind of difficult to pin down in that it's, uh, I guess, technically like sludge or something, but it's really doom death. Uh, atmospherically, it's pretty different. There, there's like a shade of pagan black metal in Colts Blood, okay. a, a general vibe. But um, it it has some of the eerie reverb stuff, but it's not being used in the kind of spacey black metal adjacent way it was in a lot of the cavernous stuff. Uh, and there's you know there's triple time stuff. There is uh, the same sort of. Uh, uh, the same the same sort of moldering earthiness to it. Yeah, that sounds pretty fun. I'll have to check that out. Um, let me play another song. Let me play the the other original track on this EP. This is called uh, "The Undrownable Howl of Evil." Undrownable is a, a pretty fascinating adjective. I like these song titles. Um, so let's just listen to this one. Uh, this one uh, moves a little bit faster, and you get to hear some of the sort of primordial OSDM pulling away from thrash underpinnings of this, or more directly, just stuff that's a little bit like Celtic Frost or Hellhammer at its most extreme. Uh, so we'll just start after the intro here, and let's see if we can tease out some of the more heavy metal aspects on this. So again, listening to that, they're playing with the uh, the sort of contours and the perceived pulse with that final riff where they drop into 6-8 and they double the length of it, so it's like a 16-bar riff. Um, but it just feels very accelerated because it's moving at 6-8. Uh, 
the primary riff there, the main sort of chugging run, the chugging one with that that angular little slide mm-hmm. in it, is it's, and then with the trem run at the end of it is like a, it is like a death metal riff. You want to say that it's an old school death metal riff, but it doesn't actually sound like any old school death metal riffing you've heard before. It's a it's a sort of modern riffing conceit that's been injected into this old school style. But you've got a pretty interesting comparison for it. Yeah, I mean that's really sounds like the riff to post mortem off of Rain and Blood. Uh, mm-hmm. It it like it reminded me of the lyric first. Uh, Entering a tomb of a corpse yet conceived. Tighten the tourniquet round your neck. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You know I can definitely see that. And, and given the the sort of like latent slow thrashiness of a lot of the material on this EP, and maybe for the band in general, um, I mean that could definitely be a touchstone. I mean it seems like these guys are really attempting to tease out the the nexus of. Late 80s, early 90s, Doom Death, but as it was perceived at the time with the tools that it had available from its from its predecessors, you know, to make Doom Death in 1990 necessitated that you use thrash parts. Mm-hmm. Just because the vocabulary was not well enough established to have convention to fall back on. And I think that in Ossuary, they're trying to recreate that condition a little bit. Well, so what else is specifically heavy metal about this? Um, I mean, that that main riff is of primary interest to me. And then, you know, they slide into the more incantation-derived uh, trem riffs there, even though incantation would never climb that high on the fretboard. <laughs> uh, but but I, I find the, the sort of, like, lurching kind of stomp-oriented tempo kind of interesting. And... Maybe more than heavy metal, what it's really pointing to is a sort of primordial extreme metal. You know, the, the stuff that we always touch on, you know, uh, Master Deathstrike, Kagumelo stuff, the the after effects of Celtic Frost and Hellhammer, you know, the most extreme content from those bands that got filtered down and transformed into death and black metal. Um, it just strikes me that these guys really have their sights on styles of music that are even older than the primary genre that they're a part of. Yeah, I mean, and also I guess you could hear some heavy metal sensibility in the trem riffs there, which are not, like, not necessarily as, they're not chrome, they're very dissonant, but they're not exactly chromatic. There's a sense of, uh, there's, you're hearing scales behind them, uh, and there's gestures at sort of major intervals, and, uh, and not in the just sickening major kind of way. Uh, there's like three or four really excellent, uh, unusual trem riffs on that track, but they, they're easy to confuse with one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, there's a, I think there's a, there's a six, eight blast part with the trem riff, which is the first one that comes in. And then that doesn't repeat. And then there's this swaggering one that's like, um, you could hear that having a kind of Reverend Bizarre thing or even a Power Slave vibe to it. Yeah, I like it. I'll listen to it full length. Hey, it's Kari from Sepulchre Curse. And I'm Yaku. You're listening to Terminus. 
All right, guys, uh, we are back with our first full review of the night um, in the form of a surprise release from a band that I'm a really big fan of. Uh, this is the album The Return by Deterio Rot, uh, released on Faithless Records, which is their own imprint, uh, Extreme Music, and Repugnant Records. Um, I don't think I've ever mentioned Deteriorat on the show before. I don't even know if I've ever mentioned them to you specifically, but they are a phenomenally good, um, very obscure American death metal band that I've had a love affair with ever since I heard them when I was a teenager. Um, these guys are originally from Jersey, and they've got a pretty established pedigree behind them, you know, forming in 90, getting the first demo out in 92. But then I think there were just um, issues with lineups or just life issues, and the first full length by the band didn't come out until 2001. Um, second in 2010, and now the third, The Rebirth, is out now in 2023. So, uh, Deteriorat does not release very often, and it's always an occasion I'm excited by when they do. Uh, describing their sound is a little bit tricky. Um, older Deteriorat hovers somewhere around Doom Death territory, but I've always imagined them as a, a pretty even mixture of uh, sort of New York death metal tendencies and uh, sort of primitive Stockholm death metal style minimalism. Mm -hmm. um, the band has gotten faster and a little less doomy over the years, but the atmosphere still has that big streak of sort of the epic and the occult in it, which I really like. This is a... Uh, this is a... Uh, a death metal band that is about witchcraft and, uh, you know, forbidden seances, that sort of thing, which is an aesthetic that I really like. Uh, it got kind of taken over by black metal, but remember, back in the early 90s, there were a lot of dudes doing stuff more in that vein, and that's kept mm -hmm. up. Um, the new record is a fascinating one. I really like it a lot, but it shows the band paring back their style to make it almost even more minimal and stripped down than it already was. And it starts to connect more and more with sort of primordial extreme metal tendencies, uh, as well as it's an interesting case where you, you start to realize when you listen to a band for a very long time and you track how they move through their own discography, you start to realize that there were things that they heard in it that they thought was particularly essential that maybe you didn't hear in it. Mm -hmm. So on the rebirth, uh, I find Deteriorat exploring a lot of the ideas that I just sort of took as a matter of course on previous records and making that the primary focus, which is really interesting. They've sort of gone a tougher route than they would necessarily have to. Uh, they could have just done a record full of big doom death bangers, and I would have loved it. But here they've tried something a little bit trickier, which we'll get into. But uh, let's see. Uh, so Black Metal Guy, I assume, this is your first exposure to the band. Yep. Um, again, it, it has come up in my recommendations, I think, especially uh, the first EP. No, uh, oh, yep. Or not, uh, not, not the first EP. Uh, or rather, it's the first EP after two demos, right? Manifested Apparitions of Unholy Spirits. Yeah, that one that one I, got picked I, up by the algorithm a little bit. Yeah, 
I've seen that one in my Rex, and because it has that kind of punny name, I assumed it was uh, new school OSDM from the punk scene, mm-hmm. but which is completely wrong. Uh, <laughs> and <clears throat> and if anything, I guess this is where they got ideas for names like that. Um, uh, yeah, was not familiar. Um, was. And this record, let's see, what struck me about it? Um, this is an... I like stuff that is very minimal. Uh, this is ex- this is shockingly minimal, even to me. <laughs> um, this is extremely stripped-down music, especially for death metal. Uh, there are a... Uh, you know, the goal seems to be to write the riffs with the fewest notes possible and to write the most, um, uh, and, and to write, to write the bare, uh, to, to write archetypal riffs, not in the sense of like the legendary riff, but almost just to play the bare bones of certain fundamental death metal riffs. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's skeletal. Right. Um, yes. Yes, it is. Uh, I, you know, I mentioned. Should we get into it now? Maybe we'll get into it. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get to the samples in a second. The the other thing I was struck by um, was you had suggested this sounds like Stockholm death metal somewhat, right? And I didn't hear it at first. But when I went back to pull my samples, I, I did hear it, just not at all in the way I expected. There are zero D-beats here, right? The most sort of thing you would normally associate with Stockholm. But there is the minimalism. There is the thick guitar tone. And I can hear now how even some of the trem leads have that kind of um, simple gothic vibe you would get from a, you know, uh, a, a Swedish band, right? Mm-hmm. Or how this has the minimalism of Nihilist. Uh, but I have some other ideas about that. But g- generally, the the striking thing about the minimalism is uh, there are riffs on here. Yeah, all the, this is something I texted you, right? It's like this deteriorate seems focused on playing the boring riffs. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, there are riffs on here that straight up I don't even like. Uh, but the way they're delivered is fascinating. Uh, and for anyone with a serious interest in the music, is sort of magnetic. Uh, c- can we switch the order around a little bit? Because I feel like the best yeah, example sure. of playing the boring riffs is uh, just the first track. Um, sure. Yeah, cool. So I'll go to. We'll do my sample first, and then. Oh wait, but you wanted to play. You wanted to play a sample of their oldest stuff first. I got ahead of myself. Yeah, r- real quick, just so you have some further context uh, as to where these guys came from and where they're going. I wanted to play something off of that first EP, uh, "Manifested Apparition of Unholy Spirits." Uh, this record, this little seven-inch, opens with a song called "The Afterlife," which is probably top five favorite death metal songs of all time for me. Like. Hearing this song as a teenager massively changed what I thought about death metal and what I wanted to do playing it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is just we're we're it starts with you know sort of a a, a spooky synth intro, and we're gonna come in about half a minute in right as the opening drum fill 
uh, crashes in and we hear some of the just gnarliest, heaviest, er, doom death riffs of all time. So, so that is just immediately the coolest fucking thing in the world. Imagine hearing that when you're like 15. <laughs> oh man, you're you're not ready for that when you're 15. <laughs> no, you're not. It ruins your whole life. That that song derails your future. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, you know what what always gets me about that main riff that that loping doom death riff that it's the it's the uh, the pinch harmonics that are inserted in there. These mm-hmm. these these ugly horrible pinch harmonics and what's already a what's what's kind of a standard minor key death metal melody, but getting twisted with the inclusion of those pinch harmonics, which really speaks to that that nasty NYDM vibe that these guys were pulling from. Because this is a, a New Jersey band originally, um, so yeah, so it's it's interesting listening to this record in the context of their oldest material. Um, but you can kind of see how they got here. Um, I mean, that prides itself on a certain kind of minimalism, and things have sharpened up, and the emphasis has changed from this very slow material to faster material, but the the, the broad outline of it remains the same. Yeah, some of the coolest riffs on this new album sound like that first riff uh-huh. um, on the Afterlife. I mean, man, yeah, that is that is just a demolishing riff. You can't even go oog to that one. It's just a <laughs> oof. Right? It just takes the wind out of your sails. You're just oh. Um, I love the um It starts in a um. Right, the, the you know five out of six triplets in the first riff. Right, there's another triple time old school riff. Right, which this sort of um, hearing the deteriorate is sort of like hearing even more minimal versions of the stuff that Ossuary was drawing on. Yeah, um, yeah, there's definitely so, some similar genetic material. Yeah, and so there's there's another you know just a hideous triple time riff. But um, I feel like. Usually you'd start with a longer note, right? Dong, right? And or and and that's like a legacy of like that that that's a legacy of you know thrash patterns and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you know, or Motorhead riffs or um, but 
there's something about that that is extremely primitive, but also like prescient. Like it's where it 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 goes to where the chuggiest sort of beat down music would go. Mm-hmm. Or uh, you yeah, know, you, you you can see how that that first riff riff from the afterlife mm-hmm. could be from straight savage style. Yes, it could be a metalcore riff exactly, and by like a really just crushing metalcore riff. Dong. Um, and it's uh, it's almost a one note riff, right? The two riffs, the two other notes in it are just like sure, they're the thrash metal notes, and it's like that they're not the stars of the show. Uh, it's um, the the horrible pinch harmonic hits on the root note. <laughs> yeah, um, it's so weird. It, yeah, it's really cool. And also, I mean, the blast is awesome. Uh, as it hit, I wrote in the notes uh, to the death metal guy, there was not even an attempt to come in on time. It just, yeah, it just falls into it. It's like, yeah. rep- it's repulsion type shit. It, it really reminded me of repulsion. There was some gesture at a... Uh, there was some gesture at there was going to be a drop or something, and they figured just come in whenever. Um, <laughs> it was it, it was awesome. Um, it it just sounds like a bag of bricks falling on you, and then we're back to the knuckle dragger. Um, or actually to a slightly more complex version. But yeah, that is really cool, and I'm gonna have to listen to that whole EP now. Oh, yeah, that and uh, the, and the first full length is is continuing very much in that vein. But uh, let's get to the one that you were trying to sample. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so that's a great example of an utterly minimal archetypal riff uh, that, you know, it's just sort of, it's distinctive, it's crushing, and it does it with three or really one note, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, in the afterlife. Here, at the start of the new record, is Dark Embrace, which is based entirely on a bad riff, which is maybe half a riff, and yet is uh, strangely fascinating. Ah! 
duh. That's one, five, minor, six, five, minor, third. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it happens so quickly that it suggests there's going to be at least a half more of the riff to go, right? Mm-hmm. It's almost like the wind-up phrase in a longer riff. Yeah. Duh. And then it just stops. Yeah, you, you expect the natural thing to do the, the semitone down response part. Or semitone up or like something, yeah. Um, or some sort of completely different phrase that changes, mm-hmm. you know, uh, changes the shape of the riff. Um, instead, what it sounds like is the first time you reached for a guitar and played a phrase that sounded satisfyingly extreme metal. Yes. Right? That could be the first time I played something that made me think of a black metal riff. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that sounds a bit like Emperor. Okay, I guess those are the chords to keep hitting. Um, uh, and 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 this happens, yeah, just in this da-da-da, in this sort of almost... Um, it's almost a casual way of organizing them rhythmically, right? Just like, well down and yet he insists on it and he rubs our face at it and the riff itself seems to not really do the thing you expect but then you get into the downbeat thrash part again a similarity with the uh um ossuary um and um it starts to uh it, it becomes a little more propulsive yeah, a lot of this record has to do with playing riffs for a very long time with with simple rhythmic variations. And something that you pointed out about that riff, which applies to the whole record, is that this is a record where all possibly all of the riffs are devoid of a B variation, which mm-hmm. is a very stark and weird thing. You don't realize how crucial that is to metal riff writing until you hear it absent, you know? Um, All of this record sounds like it's composed of the front half of riffs, which speaks to a very deliberate effort to strip this down to its absolute most minimal and essential parts. These are the outlines of death metal ideas. And given the sophistication of other riffs in the band's catalog, clearly something they're reaching for something here. Yeah, this has one more note than the uh, the riff to the afterlife, but it is far less riffy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's, there, there's a striking lack of motion in a lot of these songs. There's a, a sort of ghoulish... Um, sameness Mm -hmm. it it becomes this sort of like agonizing thing where it's like it's both a an endurance test and a celebration of these very simple timbral and melodic ideas yeah he calls it the you know i he calls it um right the the record is the return the rebirth yeah or the rebirth sorry yeah that's uh it's it's a very Bathory... Sorry, I called it The Return. It's a very Bathory-type title. Mm-hmm. But um, I asked you if, if if this... 
it struck me when I heard it like, oh God, this must be deliberately more, whatever the death metal guy heard in this band before, this has to be even more minimal. It seems like a goal to rebirth the band from the very roots of the genre. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it's really fascinating. It's like, it's yes. such a weird thing to come out of a band like this. Um, yes. Yeah, so I heard that song and I was like, okay, well that, I didn't, I'm not sure I enjoyed that, but it's up my alley. <laughs> if that makes sense, right? I, I really <laughs> respected the minimalism. And then as the record went on, you get a lot of songs that are almost that minimal, but that are, are really engaging. Yeah, there, there there's, the record becomes substantially more complex as it goes on. So I think mm-hmm. there, there was a process probably undergone by Paul, who's like the primary member who's been there from the beginning uh, of the band. He's the vocalist and uh, lead guitarist, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, these songs are written in order and Dark Embrace is designed to be a song with a single riff and a two-chord couplet, and that's the entirety. And then he wants to build off of that idea. Um, so he builds off of it with the very next song, Return to Rot, um, which is also outstandingly minimal. This is basically a two-riff song uh, where there are no variation figures. There's essentially no transition figures between riffs, but now there's two riffs instead of just one. Um, and let's 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 pay attention to this because it's like, okay, this is rooted in the old school. How else do you dig out old school extremity? Let's listen to what the drums do in this uh, two minute chunk of a three minute song. So, 
here here we go. Um, that's just two minutes of unbroken arch goat blasting, <coughs> mm-hmm. which is a which you don't even notice the first time you hear the song. It, it totally escapes you that it's just a completely unbroken blast beat for pretty much the the running of the song. Um, but that communicates with it uh, again the commitment to the minimalism. But a a sense of extremity very much rooted in the early 90s. Um, It is weird. I was on a kick listening to old school death metal records in the car today. Uh, I was listening and I was listening to weird stuff. I was listening to like uh, Eternal Suffering and the Rottervore record, you know, some of these like cult classics. And what's so interesting listening to old school death metal compared to like new OSDM is that there's a lot more blast beats on old school death metal, and they're rickety and weird, and they go under riffs that don't make sense currently to have blast beats under. Um, but Deteriorat appears to perceive the blast beat in the way that it was originally intended, which was to maximize density in a certain place. It's not really there to provide rhythmic information. It is there for timbral reasons. It's the loudest thing you can do on drums, you know. Uh, and I, I find that conceit really fascinating. And I like the way it sounds. I like the way it grinds against these two, actually three, riffs. And just with some simple variations of like 16th note palm mute runs. Uh, this is clearly building off of the first track it's like okay so now we've got a small handful of riffs still very constrained rhythmically but we're starting to add on layers that develop this further and this really proceeds through the entire record yeah that do 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 that comes in is like positively epic Mm -hmm. in relative to what's 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 been there before and um is a really skillfully shaped riff um, it's uh, even though it's made from basically the same material as the mm-hmm. uh, the the boring riff on this, uh, it's so this is um, when you're saying the blast is there to be timbral, I I think the rhythmic function here is kind of important, just in a really uh, in a really kind of uh bludgeoning way uh and that relates to uh, another you know change you can hear from the early stuff there's been a huge you know a, a huge increase in the musicianship obviously mm-hmm. from that super primitive ep right and, and that should go without saying but it's interesting when you hear that much development in musicianship being directed to music that's even more minimal yeah uh, it is and, this is so and, much cleaner and more clinical in a right. way Right, and you could become a much better musician, but still decide to record your music in a really ragged, shoot-from-the-hip way, right? Mm -hmm. You know, he could play music that's... This could be recorded... You could play this same record in a really garagey way, and you'd still hear the improved musicianship. It'd just sound very spontaneous or drunk, right? Yeah, Uh, yeah. It would sound like a master record in that case. (laughs) Right. And in in this case, what you're getting is just... um, it's like he's forcing you to hear the metrical grid, right? It's mm-hmm. a, instead of rhythm, you're almost just hearing meter. That is that is true. There is something extremely geometric 
about the, it, it's weird because early death metal riffs are just by virtue of the way they're played and recorded so ungeometric Mm-hmm. And this is, well, I mean, this this is literally someone with 30 years of experience in this music revisiting its most primitive ideas, which is an interesting conceit in and of itself. Yeah, and what the, the interesting thing, uh, you know, a great example of it on the, the sample you played from uh, The Afterlife, but, you know, we all know it, right? If you're tremming 16ths or fasting ever over a blast beat... The rhythm, um, obviously you can get a lot more mileage out of having a ton of rhythmic control, right? But you don't have to. You don't have to have a lot of rhythm. You can kind of fake it. (laughs) Um, And sometimes that sounds cool. Uh, It's cool, sometimes it sounds sloppy, sometimes it just doesn't matter, right? But there's, you know... um, whether we're a, a half beat behind or exactly where the beginning of is or whatever these things um small variations don't really matter uh might even add to it in this what he's doing is he's committed himself to just entirely rigid 16th two lines there it's not like there's a riff that has pedal point palm mutes there's just one that's playing only mutes, right? On the 16th, and the other is doing a totally uniform, clean, melodic trem over it. Mm. It means that fuck up. And he's not <laughs> fucking up. And he's landing exactly on the downbeat. Uh, and still, just because of the uh, syncopations in the 16th, just like variation in where they're placed... The, the built-in asymmetry of that last big lead, uh, it still has groove. It still loops itself in a way that the first riff really doesn't. Though the riff to Dark Embrace does not, right? But when you go, once you get to da 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 that has internal groove and it cycles back on itself. Yeah, no, it, it, it is really remarkable, kind of the... It takes a lot of time and sophistication to make death metal this minimal. It, it, it's like that that thing you say sometimes to me. It's like it. I, I'm so you know the. I'm sorry. This letter is so long. It would have taken much more time to write a shorter one. Oh, uh, <laughs> what what? I'm not sure that's my phrase actually. Well, no, it's like you say it. I know it's a quote from something else or a, a paraphrase of something else, but. I, I, there, there is something to that here. The idea that to make something so starkly minimal and yet so crisp and, and yeah. defined requires a tremendous amount of effort. Oh, yeah. I certainly subscribe to that school of thought. Yeah. Like, I mean, this is where, yeah, the, when, when I'm talking about like the art of the D beat riff or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. For sure. Yes. So let me get to another song. This is now we're going to move toward the uh, the back end of the record. This is a political evocation. Here, we, you know, a bunch of developments happened in these middle songs. More and more elements are being added. And now, on these back few, this is where you see the band kind of in full bloom. So, here, we're going to hear a a triplet blast figure, or like a 6-8 blast figure, that spills out into a huge doom death passage, very much in the incantation vein. And... What I find so interesting about this is how Deteriorat really understands how these parts work in death metal songs. 
The riff itself is cool, but it's not important. There's only 10 of these riffs, and if you've listened to death metal for a fair amount of time, you've heard all of them. But what really matters is using it in a sense of musical vocabulary. This is a specifically death metal part, and the details of how it's executed by any individual artist is what makes it special. So that is a a classic Onward to Golgotha style giant crawling Doom Death riff. Um, it, it does have interesting things that happen in it, as you'll point out. But I, I think that at this point, there's a conscious effort on the part of this band to use every every riff on this record has been done before. In mm-hmm. essence, right? You like these are deliberately archetypal death metal riffs. Even the most complicated one is an archetypal of a slightly more complicated one that emerged in 1994. Um, but the band is very committed to the idea of using these as vocabulary. Um, these are established ideas. I mean, we talk about this on the show all the time. It's like there are riffs and there are melodic ideas and genres of metal that are public domain and everyone has access to, and they're permanently relevant because they just are what this music is built out of. Um, and Deteriorat almost seems to be saying, what happens when you make a death metal record exclusively out of the universal matter of death metal, just the the carbon at the bones of the genre, um, and what you get is something that is it, it has a, a tremendous amount of personality and dark energy 
that comes from its lack of personality. <laughs> you know what I mean? Almost like a mm-hmm. take on um, how the insanely sterile, dry atmosphere of certain brutal death metal is its atmosphere. Something similar goes mm-hmm. on here with mm-hmm. Deteriorat of just the the broad universal darkness of early death metal uh, applied in this very clean and deliberate way on this record. Yeah, um, something I want to talk about, just the, yeah, the Doom part is really cool. Uh, and, and you're right to point out, sure, that this has probably been done before by incantation and all that, but, like, it starts out, th- there's a thing that happens on this record where, like, because he'll deliberately refuse to do something, mm-hmm. then he can do it in an equally deliberate way, Right. So that first riff on the record that I talked about in the first sample, right? One thing you might do with that is deliberately change its shape on the second half. Completely mm-hmm. sort of change its configuration. Take it in an unpredictable direction. And that's what he refuses to do. On the track you sampled with that kind of... On that first track you sampled with the constant blasting, mm-hmm. he does a different thing. He takes an initial fragmentary phrase and he repeats it he does that thing where he changes the changes the root note, maybe slightly changes the intervals, and that's the second half of the riff, and it's really heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, he sets out a really predictable pattern. The beginning of the riff is just like chromatic ascent. It's like the riff to Hellhammer's Messiah, but backwards. Yeah. Um, <laughs> extremely just sort of like, okay, great, he's climbing the scale. And then there's just a huge, maybe like at least octave-wide plummet to this uh, lower chord, and at the same time, and, and at the same time, he's striking something like an inverted power chord or something. There's like a, a there's like a fourth that's coming out of nowhere in the background that just uh-huh. creates that oh feeling. Um, it almost sounds like a rigor sardonicus chord. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It's like he he reverses the orientation of the riff when he does that. Yes, the riff, and and I think it, I can't remember if it also ascends or then it descends, but just the, uh, the melodic color is totally different, and it, uh, the riff suddenly becomes a lot more, it it just, it's a complete lateral move from what he establishes at the beginning. Even if you would start out with a chromatic ascent and tweak it in some way with a turnaround or whatever, this is just the opposite. It keeps being quarter notes, it just becomes a fully developed long phrase from that and Mm -hmm. there's this very dramatic thing that happens in the middle of it uh so that that is cool yeah and and it would not have the weight that it does on music that was more cluttered with ideas for sure for sure yeah i mean the the minimalism of this music makes every change have outsized significance within the context of the song yeah, and so we've we've talked about that, and that loops back to the structure of the record in general. It's basically paced to gradually intensify. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's probably a significant upping of the ante or complexity just around the mid of the album with the rebirth, maybe. Mm-hmm. And that's where like the Swedish side of the record becomes more apparent. I think when I'm listening back, like I, I listened to that track, the trem riff in it could be a slower Stockholm riff on an Entombed or Dismember record. Yeah. Uh, and so so I started to hear what you mean, but it doesn't really ever 
sound like the classic Sweet Death, but then I heard this song reanimate towards the end of the record, which is easily, or actually right after, sorry, this is track, I did them out of order. This is right after track five, after after the rebirth, which is maybe kind of the turning point, we get reanimate, which is far more um, lively than anything that's come before it on the record. Um, I guess because it's reanimating. <laughs> um, and you'll hear... There's a kind of Swedish death metal going on here that is maybe not necessarily the one you'd expect, uh, and it's really heavy. So there's the band that wrote the afterlife. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the same um the same five. It, there's the the main that really catchy chug riff. That works. That that's the same thing with uh starting with the uh five five out of six chug. Yeah, on, on on the downbeat, uh, it's a similar technique. Um, although the riff here is more complicated than the riff to the afterlife. Um, but what he, the groove he establishes here, uh, this this is a Swedish thing, but it's not any of the D beat per, the things we cl- it's not the in the sun the classic classic Stockholm D beat stuff. It's not. Um, it's not even grave. It's something even more primitive, which is unleashed. <laughs> yes. And I totally did not realize that until you put it in the notes, and it makes perfect sense. 
And what it reminds me of, I don't know Unleashed well, which is weird because it's one of those bands that's just like totally up my alley. But um, it just reminds me of like Onward into Countless Battles or whatever. Oh, yeah. I actually, (coughs) I think it was last year, I was on a kick where I was like visiting um, old school death metal albums that I had no interest in deliberately. (laughs) Yes. So I listened to like the first three Unleashed albums and they are the weirdest fucking thing in the world. It, it, it is like it, it is like they read the Wikipedia page for death metal, but in 1990, it it, it they mm-hmm. the riffs don't do anything or go anywhere. It is fascinating. I have never had less musical information conveyed by a melody than in early Unleashed. <laughs> it's 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 like coffins. I mean, so Unleashed does do D beats, but it feels completely different from the D beats in the, you know, in a dismember thing, right? Mm-hmm. Or in Nihilist, which are sort of like high speed crasher crust whatever. Unleashed plays D beats in half time and uses them to set up these in uh just uh grotesquely heavy one one note chug riffs um with that are that rely on death metal's more involved palm mute picking to make uh to make these sort of just root note phrases work uh there's like it's very crisp picking applied to extremely minimal riffing um and it and that's like something here. Uh, and the other thing this would remind you of in terms of its emphasis on the downbeat, mm-hmm. and its sort of epic vibe is Amana Marth, who yep. now that I think about it, must have been really influenced by Unleashed. I, I, maybe I could find an Unleashed song that has a similar just doom ta doom ta and downbeat emphasis. I probably could. I want to look for one, but um, it's. But but you hear what I mean, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, one of the primary things that... Because when I heard this song, I was like, okay, this proves the Swedish thing. Just because there was... No American band typically would be caught dead doing that ACDC beat. That's a total... That's a totally European conceit. Yeah, no, I hear that. It totally is ACDC-ish. Uh, and, you know, I think we've talked about how Amon Amarth is kind of like ACDC. But... Mm. Um, but it's also like more immediately, it's the Bathory beat, the slow Bathory beat, right? For like, and the weird thing is that um, if you look, if we get a little more down the conspiracy theory uh, hole here, um, on Shadows in the Deep, on, on Unleashed actually covers the Venom song Countess Bathory, which is one of those dun 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 dun, dun mm-hmm. kind of things. So there's on this track, he's tapping into Swedish death metal that. Uh, is almost just completely rooted in things that are earlier than or just not death metal.
constantly being bombarded with uh you know crazy headlines uh economic unease uh a pervasive sense that we live in a world of uh uh you know crystalline stained glass lies refracting our every perception but once in a while you just want to be able to sit back from all that and uh sort of think about six-winged angels carrying really big swords and hammers and shit and like explosions <laughs> and for for those of for those who want that we've got our shattered garden by ophidian memory uh out now as an independent release on Bandcamp. So, uh, with this is a very old school Terminus review in that it is, I saw this on the internet, it had a cool cover, I was pleasantly surprised by the music, and we're reviewing it. A classic, um, yeah. Yes, and it is, uh, it, you know, it is pretty far outside the wheelhouse we've established for ourselves. It's an underground release in that it is very independent, and, you know, it's all one guy. Uh, however... It's really drawing on uh, high-budget mainstream metal from the early 2000s. Um, and, and some more underground bands from that time, right? But what was interesting was the name checks on the Death Metal Promotion Channel. It's uh, uh, 
somebody mentioned it's influenced by like uh, Blood Red Throne. Uh, for fans of Blood Red Throne, uh, the Black Dahlia murder, and like early Dark Tranquility or something. And I was like, well, I like numbers one and three, and I kind of like number two. And I would it'd be interesting to hear how that kind of you know, a uh, mellow death that's actually metalcore sound would translate into a more serious death metal context. And that's exactly what this gives you. Uh, this is thoroughly informed by a metalcore aesthetic from the early 2000s, or uh, probably also deathcore and the contemporary tech death that sort of sounds like that. Mm-hmm. But what riff by riff what you get is kind a kind of um, flamboyant, epic death metal that balances otherworldly riffs with a uh, really engaging chug. Um, and it's uh, just pretty cool. Uh, I, I find it very enjoyable, and the interesting thing is that the, like, although the informing sensibility is coming from metalcore in a lot of ways, the a lot of the the riff work is just sort of impeccably death metal riffing, although very much on the melodic side of death metal. Some people call this a blackened death record. That is uh, odd. And I think that's a, there's a sort of, there are, of course, this guy's very obviously aware that black metal exists and listens to it. There are a few straight up black metal riffs on the record, but... When people say that, what they really mean is that there are sort of uh, riffs with scales. <laughs> it's, it's not all it's it, it's it's not all strictly chromatic, right? Yeah. There's there's consonant riffing. What doom is when you play the chord slow? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. There's there's consonant riffing here. There's some sort of like epic Dorian stuff, but there's also kind of odd. Uh, exotic modes being used um and you know uh probably chromatic melodies that are still melodies mm-hmm. um and there's a uh and maybe a bit of a sensibility from 80s goth rock at work and that's all stuff you can do within a strictly death metal framework and a lot of the epic riffs we now associate with black metal were pioneered by bands like uh at the gates, sentenced dissection, and a few and uh, dark tranquility by '93. Um, so, or you know, early dawn. So, really, before they started finding their way into Norwegian and Swedish black metal guitar technique, um, you know, the first, you, you know, maybe Gorgoroth in '94 would would pick that stuff up. So, this is, um, yeah, it's sort of very epic fantasy death metal, um, but it's also pretty. But it's also very kind of, like, listen really loud in a car and bang your head on the way to, like, the pizza place. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That's that's a good description. Yeah, it's definitely got um, high art ambition with low art immediacy. Yes, I would say the the, the sort of the thing for this band is, like, right now where this is sitting is, I would say, like, really fun video game with surprising depth. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can talk as we go on about if this guy wants to produce record a record that sits alongside, you know, the the arty death metal and black metal that he obviously likes, uh, and the sort of the canonical records that inspired him, uh, how how we could, how he could do that. Mm-hmm. But um, 
Yeah, what what were so death metal guy? I know in a way you're much more familiar with the base material of this record than I am. Uh, yeah, and, and you know you had recently referenced Blood Red Throne, saying that I would like them on the show. So what 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 do you make of this? So, uh, it, th- I listened to this record <laughs> while I was while I was on vacation. Uh, I, I queued it up and I started it and 30 seconds in, maybe a minute, I was like, this is the band that every cool metalhead guitar guy in my high school in the mid 2000s dreamed of doing, um, guys who were into death metal, but primarily into death metal as a sort of, um, guitar virtuoso music. And we're also very interested melodically in a lot of the metalcore stuff that was coming out at the time. Um, around 2005, 2006, a specter was haunting Melodeth, and that specter was Kill Switch Engage. You know? <laughs> um, so it, it, it is um, probably considered by a lot of serious extreme metal people to be a very dark time, uh, especially if you were a, uh, a dedicated melodic death metal guy that was, you know, falling to his knees in despair over how there were breakdowns in Dark Tranquility songs around that era. Um, I can't look on it with as much resentment. A lot of that music was really fun, and a lot of it... Um, in pursuing these pop sensibilities, arrived at pretty striking songs. Uh, I would say it, it hit more often than it missed. Certainly, you are not listening to it for the same reason that you listen to, you know, quote-unquote proper death or black metal. But it was it was mostly intended to be a, a further attempt to create a mainstream style of metal, and to a certain degree, it worked. Now, Ophidian Memory is deeper down the rabbit hole than that. Uh, Ophidian Memory is more of a true extreme metal band than a lot of those bands were. But this guy obviously has a lot of interest in that style and in things that extend from that style, like um, some of the proggy mid to late 2000s tech death stuff. I, you know, I'm thinking of bands like Skeptic and Illogicist. Uh, I'm thinking of in flames as they were starting to round the corner into their sort of uh, metalcore era, which mm-hmm. really continues to this day. Uh, as as well, well as... Well, oh, go, go ahead. Okay, keep going. Oh, no, and uh, yes, and certainly Black Dahlia Murder, which on their first couple records are still substantially metalcore um, before they transition into full Gothenburg worship. So... Um, it is really interesting to hear a guy create a record... Out of these ideas, I, it's sort of like when we talk about people doing um, 2000s black metal worship. It's like, these are not styles that were ever considered artistically to be very sophisticated or very worthwhile. But in retrospect, we're able to pick up on a lot of the threads left by those bands and be like, oh shit, there's some, there's some really cool ideas here. So uh, in terms of execution, I think this is very good. I think that it suffers from being very top-down in the way that it's written. Uh, this is a concept album that is part of what seems to be an ongoing series of conceptual releases, and a lot of the songwriting decisions are at the mercy of that, which results in some stuff that I'm not too fond of, like uh, 
there's a the the vocal density on this record is extremely high. There's not a lot of points where there are not vocals going on because we're trying to convey these reams of text about the concept <laughs> of the record. Um, and it does suffer a bit from being a one-man project. It has the inherent boxiness that goes along with an auteur project. I think this, this is a band that would be uh, improved by being a full band, substantially. I totally agree. Yeah. But I gotta say, insofar as the idea of one-man, proggy, 2000-style mellow death from Iowa goes... I think this is probably the best that can happen with that whole combination of details. Uh, this guy is taking a very tough road and uh, taking on a lot of musical influences that a lot of people would say is very questionable and is making a pretty good goddamn extreme metal record out of it. So there you go. Hats off to it. I, I think this is pretty cool. Yeah, this is fearlessly drawing on stuff that a lot of people who listen to this show would probably just think of as very uncool. They would d- dismiss it yeah. inherently. Yeah, but you you can't dismiss these riffs, bro. So let's let's listen to them on uh this is one place where I will play the I will uh play the the riffs bro card. But I'll try <laughs> to explain why the riffs are good and uh they really are uh there's something there's just like very this is how you make good extreme metal riffs let's listen to um our shattered garden the title track number two from the beginning Oh, 
so then we get into a solo over a bespoke riff chug section. I really um, like that chug riff there. Yeah, it's uh, it, there. What do you like about it? Uh, I, I I just like the um, well, I, I like the immediate proximity to metalcore, like two thousands metalcore. That that huge negative space in the chug there. With you know the, the rapid fire picking patterns, I, I I've always been a sucker for that stuff, and it's cool to fill it in with a big keening, you know, Kerry King solo. <laughs> yeah, 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 and it's got like a cool turnaround in it that gives it a little more, uh, you know, a, a little more specifically metal character. Uh, mm-hmm. And and yeah, it's what you can do over a breakdown like this instead of like. Uh, you know, yeah, instead of the usual thing. So that that's cool. Um, and then the the previous riff is really cool. Uh, you know, this is, um, that's one of the only places where you can hear these are black metal chords, right? Those yeah. are obviously the dark funeral chords. But what that really sounds like is if you're using those chords in a pedal point thrash riff with the downbeat slayer, that's like uh, necrophobic on dark side. So very far to the death metal side of the Black Death spectrum. Yeah, this this song specifically is perhaps the most Euro traditional death metal of yeah. all of them. Yeah, so let's talk about, I mean, like, in some ways, like, the real statement of intent is that first riff, right? Um, it's, it's blasts with, uh, you know, 16th chug, just like... Um, and then the way he uh and and that's cool it's almost kind of behemothy maybe but um is mm. that right uh, to a degree maybe on some of their mid-era records like you know yeah. satanica zoskia cultist um, shit like that yeah but you know it's a cool use of breakdowny type chug over a blast which is always very heavy and then he just throat finishes it with this horrifying chromatic single string trem that he just bends mm. um that's that's a uh that's a thing i love to do with riffs and that i i love in riffs um and that sort of comes out of left field in this technical in this poly in what is otherwise a very like polished technically banging riff mm-hmm. you know what i mean uh and and he keeps that up uh the next thing also depends a lot on sort of pinch harmonics around uh, just uh, sort of disgusting interval single string uh, ideas. Yeah, I'm not really sure where to place his like primary death metal riffing impetus. Like it's it's got features of a lot of different things, but it, there's nothing that it immediately compares to. Um, I think I'm pulling a little bit more of the melodic Black Death stuff out of this than you necessarily are, but I, I think the I think certain things like I'll discuss it a bit later. But I think the specter of later Immortal hangs heavy over this, mm-hmm. um, especially in the way that he implements some of these really fast uh, pedal point riffs against these more elaborate melodic figures. But you know, I, I'll get back to that later. Well, okay. I, I can sort of the most morbid angel stuff in Immortal, maybe. Um, well, I'm thinking of even just like the way some of those riffs are written on Sons of Northern Darkness. You know? That's yeah. Well, I was thinking like chuggy. There's that's that's kind of w- what I mean. There's like mm-hmm. chuggy blasting. There's there's chug blast in like one by one or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so, okay, I can hear that. Like, that that would make sense instead of behemoth, which wasn't quite right, right? It's like, it's kind of the morbid angel thing, but it's it's more epic. It's more sort of beefy in its production. I, I can hear, I can hear Sons of Northern Darkness for sure. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, they, they just, there's... You know, I guess the, the the stuff he does with the the Keenan single string stuff is almost incantation technique, or the things we would stereotypically associate with them. I, okay, just... I, I've got an idea for where that comes from. That mm-hmm. that that you're talking about that slow bend single string thing. Yeah, yeah, which which he does all over the place. I'm fucking. I'm telling. He he's. There's a lot of places to pull it from, but he's pulling it from Bleed by Meshuga. Because it fits exactly in with the array of other influences on display. And the the fact that this has a real, like, um, musician-y but modern nerd quality to it. Mm-hmm. That That is a specific place where you would take that technique and build more ideas out of it. Mm. So. Interesting. So, uh, so yeah. Anyway, that that's a... Pretty good sampling of it. And there's also just a straight-up death metal tremor in that that mm. relies on similar intervals. There's a fair amount of thematic connection between the trem riffs on this record. So I, it, nothing as specific as, like, a theme that gets repeated, but you can hear him returning to similar intervals. There's, there's a lot of um, kind of melodic fragments will be used in a sort of motivic way. I don't know how deliberate it was, but it would make sense, given that this is a concept album that's supposed to be hanging together. Um Really, one of the things that makes this record tricky to talk about is that he does a lot of different stuff, and a lot of these songs are kind of self-contained. Um, like that that track that you just sampled, the title track, is by far the most specifically and directly death metal without any sort of equivocation. Um, but like your next sample from one of the more prog-tinged epics features radically different musical content. Alright, well I think it's still pretty deathy, but let's see.
then we we sort of half time into a more sort of uh, um, sprawling corded progress. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so um, some cool stuff happens here. So one, um, I, I, I skipped it, but the track starts with um, a, a a lengthy kind of clean guitar, watery clean guitar intro. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of these sections on the record, uh, and they really just sound like late '80s or early '90s goth. It might be that it makes it into this band via Opeth. I I think that it makes it here via Opeth and Agaloc. Mm-hmm. You know, it, like if we're keeping with this theme that seems pretty solid right. of like mid to late two thousands popular metal. Um, those would be immediate sources for that sound as like a prominent feature. Yeah, I hear that. There's definitely one part of this record in particular that really sounds like Agaloc. I can't can't remember exactly where. It's but, toward um, the end, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, that that would make sense for sure. But one thing is that it's not they're not like um, isolated from the music. There's something difficult is being done, which is that the the sort of the spacey the spacey arpeggios there are written to turn into a very effective spacey trem riff. Uh But when you play them as a trem riff with that uh, kind of uh, uh, burly single string tone, uh, all the dissonance is brought out. Um, It it has this kind of... um, tonal openness to it that speaks to the proggy side, but it sounds nasty. Um, and I think one thing, I, I guess that one of the binding strings that keeps this record really extreme is what he's able to do with the single string riffs. Um, yeah, I, I think that's where the heart of this music really lies is in the uh, the most intricate and dynamic single string work. Mm-hmm. This guy as a guitarist is really interesting. He he plays around with a lot of ideas and a lot of techniques. But for me, some of the sort of some of the stuff that I'll uh, I'll I'll sample uh, in a little bit is, is going to be like there's a couple things this guy he does a lot of things well on guitar, but there's a couple things he does at like almost master level. And I really kind of want to warp this project around those, like really fixate on those because. As it stands, this is a guy who has a pretty good grasp of about 10 ideas, but a a brilliant grasp of a handful of those. And I think if we just shifted the focus over there, like Mm -hmm. albums would trim down and be better for it. Because I think personally, the shorter songs on this record are far and away stronger than the epics. Well, you know... I kind of enjoy the whole thing all the way through. Okay. Uh, And I might not notice, part of it is I might not notice certain, uh, like this track, the last track I did, Esoteric Menagerie, that is, it's a very long track. A lot of things happen in it, and you could make an argument that the last half of the song, although very cool thrashing stuff, doesn't necessarily follow, or that some of the stuff before it repeats unnecessarily. Things like that, right? I, I assume that would be some of your objections. But when I listen to it all the way through, I don't really hear... I almost don't really think about the track breaks. 
Mm, yeah, I mean, this this whole record progresses pretty smoothly. It, it feels like a very unbroken idea, which, you know, I, I think that this is probably a very good execution of the concept album format, which is, I think, just an inherently difficult thing no matter what. I agree about that, and while we're on that subject, I mean, you could say... Well, before we get there, there's one other songwriting thing I wanted to point out there, which maybe you can identify for me. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a Meshuggah thing. But, so he, he has this cool kind of um, abrasive trem riff, and then you get a chug thing. And again, it does the metalcore thing of using negative space, right? But then the negative space drops out. It gets a lot denser, and it sort of... You think the emphasis is going to fall one place but it falls like before the beat or after it mm-hmm. and it's very heavy it's like it's almost like there's more um there's m- and it sounds like there's more chugs per beat uh more more chugs per beat than you're expecting like even more subdivisions it's not just like you know, it's not just like there's like a, a flam thing or something. Um, is that a Mashuga thing? I, I think that he's getting certain ideas from Mashuga. That's not exactly a Mashuga thing, but there's like a, a conceptual similarity at work. Basically, what he's doing is so he's got a uh, he's got a, a chug oriented riff. And then about halfway through the riff, he hits a big open chord and creates that negative space before mm-hmm. the chug resumes. Um, we all do that in our metal riffs. Sure. But what he's doing is he starts playing with how quickly the chug returns. Mm-hmm. Um you know, he's got maybe the first time he comes around, he's, he leaves maybe three eighth notes open beyond the uh, the held chord. And then he starts bringing the chug back earlier and earlier. Mm-hmm. So you've got this simulation of uh, the note density increasing when really he's just uh, filling the previously absent space. But it kind of it kind of warps. Uh, it warps the riff around that inflection right. point, and you get kind of weird oh. results. Out. Oh, and he's starting the chug not at the beginning of a measure or halfway through it, but he's yeah. starting it on like eighth or quarter note subdivisions in the middle of the measure. Yeah, yeah. So the density isn't actually increasing. He's just restarting it sooner, um, yeah. which has something to do with a lot of Meshuggah stuff and you know the way they will drop their their sort of chug arrangements yeah. in, cutting it's, across bars and such. It's a very sophisticated way to do something retarded. Yeah, like yeah it is. Like, it's a really beautifully, a gloriously retarded chug passage. You just you just think it's going to chug, and then it gets even chuggier. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and, and that's very satisfying. And, and in moments like, and the blend between that and the kind of lofty, uh, lofty black metal adjacent melody uh, makes me think that this is if you took it one direction it could become almost a very polished modern techie equivalent of something like Armored Angel mm, yeah I can see that. that that same sort of like no rules principle of how to create extreme metal yeah and maybe to do that it would have to be Maybe that's almost an oxymoron because Armored Angel is so minimal, but like, you know, really involved rhythm guitar and sort of uh, um, kind of like uh, 
gothy, arpeggiated, uh, mysterious-sounding melodies, things like that. I don't know. It's it's just a thought. No, I get where you're coming from. Uh, and, you know, that leans into some of the more sophisticated ideas on this record that that lean into the most theatrical aspects of extreme metal. This is a this is a remarkably long hair thing for you to bring on the show. This is possibly the longest haired <laughs> record you brought on to Terminus. Mm-hmm. Um all right, so let, let's get to some of my samples. Um so I said before I think that the shorter tracks are just the stormers on this album. I, I think they're a big cut above the longer ones. Um, and I think it's just because they are so direct and they tend to really lock into what this guy is best at, which for me is a sort of twin guitar melodic black death riffing that reminds me a lot of stuff like Sacramentum uh, and also Sacramentum dissection, uh, late immortal, the usual suspects in this vein. Um, I think this guy is probably pulling certain ideas from, like, Arsis, uh, who were also interested mm-hmm. in a lot of those things, and with that same U.S. metalcore inflection. So I want to go to my favorite track on the album, which is called Tulpa. Uh, it is... It, it's right in the middle. It's the middle of the album. It's the fourth track. It's one of the shorter ones at just five minutes. But Jesus Christ, when I heard this one, the, the barnstorming of these first couple minutes and the the riffing like this is what kind of converted me on the album i was a little bit uncertain up to this point it's like there was cool stuff but it also felt like there was bloat um and then i heard tulpa and i'm like here we go i want this guy to just do this all the time Thank you. 
so this has the riff you know for the album basically oh. which is that enormous soaring fucking keening melodic black death riff oh yeah that's a brilliant riff that this track is like the this, this track is for sure the banger well it's and, and it's that combined with the the triplet chug variation where he cut times the uh, the length of the notes from the trem version so it's it's immediately related but presented in this incredibly breathless racing manner. It's it's the absolute best of tendencies of like pop mellow death from that era. That's the kind of shit that Dark Tranquility was doing around this time. That's uh, the stuff that In Flames at their best pop arrangement is doing. It's it's just awesome. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I also and I also wanted to say uh, one thing that I would like to say about this record is I really like the sort of like proggy extras. I think that the Opeth or Agaloc type passages are delivered really well. I like this guy's sort of rough-hewn, clean vocals, and I like these mm-hmm. watery, gothy, clean guitar lines. And I think they dovetail really nicely with the other melodic material on the record. Yeah, I really enjoyed them. Um, they're honestly like. Uh something they have some of the uh, i mean i'm not sure this is a direct influence but you know there's a really unique feel to certain extreme metal in the early 90s that has goth bleeding into it to the peaceville stuff and also to tiamat and uh various things like that and Mm -hmm. this almost is is like the most blissed out parts of those bands well, there's of, uh, there's also parts of this record that really channel like hanging garden type stuff, sort of like hot yeah. topic goth metal ideas from that era. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, well, like the latest, well, the older hanging garden sounds more like the Peaceville stuff. So I was thinking of like, the most recent one. Yeah, yeah, it's just like a yes, yes. It it, it is tapping into a similar kind of um, heavy ethereal thing that hanging garden is, and it's. It's a unique mood. It's uh, um, and there's there's something uh, m- misty and uh, misty and elusive about it. That's really cool. Uh, and so so those parts are great. Um, I think um, you know, if Aglock sounded like that, they would be a better band. Um, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. that goes without saying, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, you, you could almost say like like their best song is clearly not unlike the waves. That almost sounds like metalcore. Yeah, I mean, it's a I, I, I very think that, steady chug riff, right? I, I mean, it is hard to divorce mid two thousands metal, like any sort of extreme metal, from mm-hmm. the burgeoning metalcore of the era. Yeah, yeah it, it's it, it's it's hard to. Um, it's hard to explain maybe to younger guys listening to the show how powerful the gravity well around bands like Killswitch Engage was at the time. Yeah. It's, um... What else is cool? So another cool thing is everything that leads up to the gigantic single string. It leads up to the do, 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 do. I'm missing those intervals a little bit, but just to clarify, that's the one we're talking about is like the riff. But what leads up to it, we get this pretty cool involved chug riff um and it runs through a real chord progression and you get this really epic like whole step up at the end maybe it goes up to a seventh or something i don't know 
just some really good interval. It's an interval that's satisfying to sit on, but then instantly drops into a, like, the mellow death riff, right? The most troped, stereotyped, uh-huh. sort of at-the-gates light riff ever. And it's awesome. We're like, finally, they're playing it. We're remembering how cool Slaughter of the Soul actually was. Yes, exactly. Um And... You know that that is a that's just like straight up at the gates via metalcore, um, and he's using it not whereas those bands used it as the main ingredient often, uh-huh. and the worst of them would offer something that bare bones as a great main ingredient. He knows it's a trope, and it's thrown in here as a functional part, right? Because that's it's the fake out, the it's the fake big riff, it's the pre-chorus in "Living on a Prayer." Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then like th- that gets us to the enormous uh fully developed melodic death metal riff. Yeah, it's a it's a really beautiful moment and and this is where like this is where the guy I think ascends beyond just being a cool guitar guy is like in moments like this he's got an ear for structure and an ear for how to build tension properly and how to move a song from from one melodic texture to another. You know, he's playing around with some of these more aggressive sort of Phrygian ideas up front mm-hmm. while understanding how to contort those toward this proper melodeath direction that he wants to go in. Um, the, the great thing and the problem with melodic metalcore from that era was that it was all candy all the time and they just gave it to you right up front. But this guy has a better sense of longer more involved pacing in the extreme metal tradition that makes those moments hit a lot harder yeah and the epic parts were often kind of rhythmically limp or whatever like it's Mm -hmm. significant that when he plays the cliche mellow death riff he does it over extremely dense blasting yeah (laughs) that's and and the blast beats on this record are not deathcore blasts they're primitive death metal blasts Mm mm-hmm yeah, so it's worth noting that the drum programming on this record is quite good. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I, well, I like uh, that it's dense and it's there's a lot of effort put into it. I just think this is not a band that lends itself to a drum machine. No, I completely agree. This guy, I mean, I think the biggest thing to move this up from really cool surprisingly deep video game to uh you know uh prog death masterpiece or whatever would be getting more interaction with other musicians yeah Uh, i mean i know that's got to be a hard sell in des moines i i understand that the production is like inorganic production is essential to this genre right Mm -hmm. and if you and there's a, a sense in which you can make something like it in Pro Tools, which this guy has, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, to really get it, you still... that At its peak, that's a big studio sound that you get with a full band, right? Like, the last Psychroptic record, mm-hmm. which is in many ways, ways spiritually similar to this, uh, the last Psychroptic record has just a, ca- a colossal studio sound, right? Yeah, yeah, it's huge. Um, you could also dial back the, um, as with the latest Psychroptic, right? This has those deathcore vocals. You could dial back the layering and distortion. The vocals will be heavier if you just let them uh, stand on their own merits. Even if 
you think that your growls aren't as brutal as they could be or whatever. It doesn't matter. The point is the immediacy of it. Yeah, I, I agree mm-hmm. with that also. I, I, I think this guy... Um, I think this guy would only benefit by taking this project uh, further, inc- involving more people and offloading some of the stuff like production work to other people so you can concentrate on what's most meaningful. Um, For sure. So one more sample. This is off the track Vengeance Devouring, which is on the longer side, but I really like this one. Uh, And this one is a really good example of how important sort of stadium black metal is to this band. You know, late Immortal, affiliated probably later stuff like Aboth Solo Material and I, Dissection, shit like that. Um, I like it when he goes into this mode and I think that it links up pretty well with like the, the storming, you know, twin tremolo riffs, but I want to point out there is a kind of riff that occurs on this. It occurs a couple times in this sample and it was just the weirdest fucking thing to hear in this context. So let's, let's play it and just see if uh, the listeners at home can identify what I'm trying to point out.
Black Metal Guy, is that a fucking Axis of Advance riff on my Melodeath Metalcore record? Yeah, it sounds a lot like Axis of Advance. It's way more, um... Like, a, a lot of the riffs on this record, right, are, uh, say, like, very brutal takes on proggy trem riffs or whatever, but uh-huh. this is... This is a very severe, sort of barbaric-sounding riff, which is odd. The other thing it sounds a lot like is the earlier, uh, the earlier kind of um, texturally harsher Dawn album, uh, Nair Solon, uh-huh. um, uh, which has more single-string melodies on it. Um, and, and that's a place where I find, like, uh, okay, there's th- th- this really does verge on the... Uh, on black metal feeling at certain points. Yeah, and the other riffs are presenting Late Immortal pretty directly also, I think. Yeah, once you said that, I really heard it, especially in that first riff, uh-huh. with that sort of like steady, slow 6-8 six, six, chug that has these um, power, simple, powerful, modified power... Uh, powerful power chords uh simple uh sort of heroic modified power chords on it right that's really like sons of northern darkness and the thing that makes it really like that record is the fact that there's a chromatic slide down at the end um which is a sort of bespoke touch linking it to the darker black and death metal that like abbath would put in those riffs on like or you know the sort of the slinkier harmonies on like within the dark mind or something Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's hard to imagine this guy having heard of Axis of Advance, but the internet's a big place now. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I I think he could have. I mean, I think I think that's the thing. I think this really wants to be a full fledged uh, full fledged melodic dark death metal album. Or whatever, right? Uh, and I, I think that's that's where it's pointed. Um, and you know, the sophistication and the harmony and melody e- e- easily has uh, the, the the chops and the seriousness to do that. Um, one thing I want to talk about: you talked about the way that having a concept album can create songwriting problems, mm-hmm. right? It's like fuck, we got to get all these lyrics in there, right? And yeah. like okay, this song has to be structured around this or that event, right? Uh-huh. The whole thing, so... The, the whole thing follows... Uh, uh, it's sort of a... Um, it's like a cosmic fantasy story, right? Uh, and it's it has that kind of world-building thing where there's just the blanks fighting the blanks because they need blank, uh, and they're, you know... Uh, just there's something a little bit um in a way that isn't specific to this band but specific to the whole style of lore building in video games and fantasy novels uh, mm-hmm. a bit formulaic about it yeah. um and th- that's fine for what it is but you know something i talk a lot about is how extreme metal right one way or another is about directness of presentation if you want to have the epic fantasy story in the back of your head as inspiration for the lyrics by all means do that right like we all want to hear about six winged angels with cool swords and shit but the more abstract you can make the lyrics the better right the more the more imagistic uh the less you obsess about getting 
death metal shouldn't be about narrating a thing that happened or narrating events, which is at second hand. It should be just giving you images of sort of apocalyptic glory. 